From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. The Birds is often overlooked in the argument of great Bay Area movies, overshadowed by another Hitchcock drama, Vertigo, maybe the greatest San Francisco movie of all time. But the 1963 drama, which was shot in San Francisco and Bodega Bay, ages extremely well. There's a stealth environmental message, Tippi Hedren is excellent in the lead role, and listening to 11-year-old singing is still as creepy as it was 55 years ago. The Birds follows Miss Doubtfire, Zodiac, and Moneyball, inducted in our SF Cinema Greatest of All Time. I'm joined again by Chronicle style writer Tony Bravo, who knows so much about fashion in this movie that it borders on a superpower. And my friend Beth Spotswood returns, who in addition to her Chronicle column is a digital editor and writer for the Alta Journal. We talk about Hedron's indestructible green suit, the incredible use of Bodega Bay in this movie, and then the episode devolves into a debate whether anyone really could get pecked to death by a flock of birds. Beth is not convinced. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome back to the big event, Tony Bravo, Beth Spotswood. Tony Bravo coming back from Fashion Week, like how how long ago? Jet lagged? Like uh, only three hours, but uh, like nine hours ago I got off the flight. Yeah, and I like Fashion Week with the birds because there's some fashion tie-ins here. We are inducting the birds, the Hitchcock 1963 classic into um, our SF Cinema Greatest of All Time. Opening thoughts, are you guys down with this? Very excited, delighted to talk about The Birds. I am so down with this. Okay, you've both seen this film pretty recently? Yes. Yesterday. Yesterday, okay, you did your homework, and we're gonna talk about The Birds. Um, Bodega Bay, a little bit of San Francisco, I'm calling it a San Francisco movie, opens in Union Square, weirdly with the giant Disney store-sized pet shop with like six pets in it, um, and goes from there to Bodega Bay. But San Francisco movie? Yeah, I, I would count it as a San Francisco movie. It's not as much a San Francisco movie as Hitchcock's other great San Francisco Bay Area-based film, Vertigo. Definitely, It definitely <laughs> counts as a San Francisco film, though. Beth, what do you think? Well, yeah, Mitch... One of the main characters lives in San Francisco, and he goes to Bodega Bay to visit his mother, Mother Brenna, (laughs) and his young sister, Kathy, every weekend. So it's basically, he's a San Franciscan. What's more San Francisco than that? Having a weekend house. And of course, Melanie is is the bad girl of the San Francisco social scene. And she's the daughter of the newspaper owner. I want to also say that Hitchcock, when he made this film, like was all over the Bay Area, even after the film was made. Um, They actually had the premiere of the film, and I think this is the overall premiere. Like before Hollywood saw the film, it played in Sebastopol for a tiny theater there called the Annalee Theater. Ah, amazing. And all the Bodega Bay people there showed up and like screamed and hooted and hollered through the through the screening That's according to a chronicle report is to go to a film premiere with a bunch of Bodega Bay people in Sebastopol <laughs> after like a long day of apple pipping. 
God, that's perfect. <laughs> Gravenstein apples. Um, I've Only. done some apple picking in that area Only. myself in my childhood. And um, also, Hitchcock came back to Union Square to meet Herb Kane, um, a very pigeon bird averse Herb Kane, <laughs> where they scattered a bunch of pigeon feed. And we have a photo of birds crawling all over Herb Kane and Alfred Hitchcock, including on Herb Kane's head, which as a bald man, um, even I, I like birds. I don't want a pigeon crawling around on my head. That was a that was a big, big step for Herb Kane, taking one for the newspaper to do that. Why didn't we recreate that today? <laughs> we could. It would the be three of hard. us. My OCD is so bad. I would need Ken Folk to do some nice taxidermied birds for yeah. me. And I'm going to post on um, Twitter and wherever else, the big event Facebook page, I'm going to post the Herb Kane column, which is just dripping. He's so pissed off at Hitchcock for making him do this that he just makes fun of his weight and makes fun of his drawl. And um, he was not happy to have the birds there. But we have it's a wonderful photo. It's one of the best Herb Kane photos we have in our it's archive. Iconic. Can you imagine that conversation? Good evening, Herb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, nice. I don't know what Herb came. I hope that is like. not your last. Yeah, that is uh, that sh- shall not be your last Hitchcock. No, wait until we Wait until we do the Me Too stuff. Then I'm going to do some like real strong Hitchcock voiceover work. Okay, so we're going to get to Me Too stuff. We're going to get to the suit, um, greatest suit in cinematic history. I'm calling it certainly um, the most durable. Certainly the most durable. We're going to get to the townspeople of Bodega Bay um, and all of that. But I wanted to start out just with the beginning. And it begins in Union Square with Mitch and Melanie. How would you describe their relationship? It's not the typical meet-cute. I think it's kind of toxic and weird from the beginning. Yeah, and Mitch has no sense of humor. So they've (laughs) previously met somehow because Mitch is a lawyer, a criminal defense lawyer, Yes. who saw Melanie in court defending herself from one of her wacky shenanigans and they kind of play pranks on each other in a bird shop that takes up major real estate in downtown San Francisco. And she pretends that she works at the bird shop. He knows who she is, so he plays along. It's And then she gets pissy with him when she realizes that she's been pranked. Which you know, I think it's not if even you're a gonna, prank. If you're gonna do, if you're gonna do a prank, you know, you've gotta, you've gotta have sort of a sense of humor on both sides. You've gotta be okay with the fact that the tables may get flipped. Yeah. So he's he's um, there to get birds for his 11 year old sister, Kathy. Kathy. He's like 48. Right. How old are they supposed to be? So that's where there's all these things. Jessica Lang, uh, Jessica Tandy, excuse me, just had an 11 year old also. Right. She seems like she's she looks a thousand years old. old. She's already Miss Daisy. (laughs) Probably supposed to be 40 in this movie. So there's there's some problems in the beginning here. Um, It's it's not like a meet cute. Like here, these two people are falling in love and you love them. I don't like either of these people. They're kind of trying to. Lie oh, to I each like other. I you like, like her? her? Well, I like I, the actress. I don't like the character. I like the actress a lot. I think I think Tippy is so great in this, but the character is like a little underdeveloped at first. Yeah. So he doesn't, Mitch does not get his lovebirds. Um, Melanie's response is, hey, that guy was kind of cute. I'm going to use my father's, unethically, use my father's pull at the local newspaper. He's the editor or some high up at a newspaper to track down this guy's license plate. Go to Bodega Bay, get on a boat, 
go out to his house, break in, and leave these lovebirds there. Yes, it's a lot of effort. And let's, I just really want to make a note. It's not a bunny on a stove, but. (laughs) The first moment that I really fell in love with Melanie was when she dials her father's news desk with a pencil. It's like an old rotary phone, and she has these long nails, and she dials with a pencil. And right away, I'm on her side. But then she gets in her fully carpeted convertible. It's wall-to-wall carpeting in her inside her convertible, and drives 60 miles to Bodega Bay, not like goes to the post office slash general store, asks questions about locals who live there, drives to the teacher's house, Mitch's ex-girlfriend's house, to find out the name of the daughter slash sister then drives herself on a boat it full fur full length fur the amazing suit hair and makeup flawless even though she drove like a bat out of hell in a convertible <laughs> I, know, I know that is some good that is some aqua net right there girl yeah some amazing and so much effort to deliver lo- to like sassily deliver lovebirds the women yeah. in this film are obsessed with mitch yeah. and why who why? is he <laughs> i'm with you what is it about Mitch? There's That's one like man a- in Bodega Bay. <laughs> There's one man in Bodega But even his mother is like a little obsessed with him. It's, oh, oh, yeah. oh Mitch. And he calls Mitch, him dear don't. and darling. He keeps calling his mother dear and darling. Yeah. And Bodega Bay, I, I want to talk about Bodega Bay. Because oh, short, short of having a couple of like tourist spots where you can buy the bird's souvenirs... This is the Bodega Bay of 2018. It's the same. So my weirdest Bodega Bay story is that in Catholic school, they would take you up during the school year, I think when you were in eighth grade, to like a Catholic education camp for a week. Sounds very ominous. It was. And as we were driving up through, you know, the area that we were going to, suddenly I went, what is that? That's what is that jungle gym? That play? Oh my God! They're taking me to Catholic camp outside of the city where they film the birds. This is not going to go well. And then we saw the shower situation, which was like make the psycho one look quite frankly hospitable. It was a little spooky. I kept waiting for the attack all week. Yeah, excellent, um, excellent to bring up the playground equipment because we're going to get there. The crows on the playground equipment. Um, couple more little chronicle notes. We interviewed Hitchcock in 1963. He addresses one of the areas, which is actually a problem I have with this movie, is that it's two hours and five minutes long. I mean, what horror movie is two hours, five minutes long? And there's so little dialogue in it. And he said that at this point he had made a bunch of movies and he didn't like a lot of subtitles overseas. Mm -hmm. And you really notice it in the first hour because other than like a seagull pecking Melanie on the head while she's driving in the stupid boat and a couple other little birds kind of perching ominously and judging us as humans. There's not a lot going on in the first hour. I think that speaks to um, the fact that he did start as a silent filmmaker, Um, although his silent films are nowhere near as good at using that silence as many of his sound films are, quite frankly, in in my opinion. the silence in the movie, the lack of dialogue, the use of the of the sound, I think, is one of the things that makes this is, frankly, anxiety-inducing as it still is for me. I mean, I, I cannot go out into the plaza, formerly known as Justin Herman, without total <laughs> fear about being swooped down on the seagulls because of this movie. And we've been talking about flaws, but... Beth, you like this movie. I love this movie. What what is what is it about it? Is it the horror? Is it the No, I'm not afraid of birds. 
I think, I mean, I I love her style. I remember being at this podcast that you're one of the first ones you ever did saying you should do The Birds with Tony Bravo because it's such a fashion movie. It I I think Melanie's fabulous. She runs around Rome jumping into fountains naked and it's, maybe maybe that she denies it. And it's printed in the it. society columns and she's just this kind of like I mean, young newspaper heiress who falls in love with this weird lawyer who has an inappropriate relationship with both his mom, sister, and the town school teacher. Who gives their sister lovebirds, by the way? What sister asks for lovebirds from her brother? She's very into them. She wanted to take the lovebirds even as they were escaping when clearly the lovebirds are the problem. That's what I've always felt, that the lovebirds were communicating something to the other birds, like, it's time. It's time. We're going to take this world back. The lovebirds are possessed, right? Yeah. No, I no doubt there's something going on with the love. But we never get an answer as to like scientifically why this is happening. But isn't that good? I, I think this would be a worse movie with an answer. I, with well, a I clear think so answer. too. Like actually, all along it was just that there's some weird whistle that's like running out of the back of your convertible, Melanie. These are superhuman birds. These are not. Thousands of them come down a chimney. They trap her in a room so much so that she's at the door and she's unable to open the door to save her own life. Yeah, and she's flailing herself against the door until she passes out, either from small peck wounds <laughs> or just from the sheer terror of it all. Yeah, I'm gonna say terror on that one. Yeah, that's yeah. the only time her hair gets screwed up. It, but it, it's the most beautifully disheveled, even with the yeah. little hints of the peck marks, the teeny bit of blood. <laughs> she looks amazing. I, I mean, as Peter just said, I just got back from Fashion Week. I could have seen that hairdo on any <laughs> runway, and it would not have looked out of place. How do you die from a bird? They well, don't they, they really did show peck somebody's that. eyes out early on in the film. Pecking the eyes out. I think you get overwhelmed, and then blood combination of you blood get loss. Overwhelmed. <laughs> combination I'm of overwhelmed panic, thinking about this. I am every day loss. of my life. I am afraid I'm going to get pecked to death by birds because of this movie. Right, but enough blood loss that I mean, you bleed out. I think uh, Jurassic Park: The Lost World did a good job with those little. Uh, I think Kumpsthugnathus is the oh, yeah. dinosaur that just kind of attack a guy to death. And I think it's kind of just you're getting overwhelmed. A lot of small wounds bleeding out. Possible? Death from a thousand I mean, cuts. There's no point okay. in the birds where you see like a bird with like a human heart in its mouth or something. Or an so eyeball. I'm just <laughs> assuming. Well, the, you see the if lost If Hitchcock had been working uh, later, would we have seen that? I mean, I, I wonder a little bit. If he had been able to push the boundaries on the gore, would this have been as effective a movie? I think what we don't see and what we don't hear is so much the genius of this one. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, Mitch needs to block all of the ladies' eyes from seeing dead school teacher. <laughs> like he covers her face so we don't get to see that. And Tippi Hedren looks away. She won't even look at it because it's too traumatic. The characters in this movie are just these women that are all obsessed with Mitch. I mean, so I like to imagine, too, that, that Melanie is still alive and living in San Francisco today. And that I might run into her at a society party and I might get cornered by by some nice well-coiffed, even still, blonde lady in an Edith Head suit saying, did I ever tell you about the time? <laughs> So we're in Bodega Bay. We have Melanie. We have Jessica Tandy as Mitch's mom. We have Veronica Cartwright as Mitch's 11-year-old daughter, weirdly spaced. Oh, yeah. Sister. Sorry, spaced. Sister. And and then I want to spend some time, before we get to the fashion, before we get to the suit, on um, Suzanne Plachette. Annie. Annie. The school teacher. Who is another woman who is a school teacher, former flame of Mitch, 
She's totally over him, and yet... She moved to Bodega Bay to be near him. She doesn't want to lose their friendship She doesn't ever. want to lose their friendship ever. And why do they all have Maine accents? Did you notice that? That as soon as you get near a yeah, wharf... Yeah, I did know. The second you're near a wharf, they're like, oh, the Brunago? <laughs> Um, it was sort of like Carousel. Like I expected Billy Bigelow to break out into song at some point. Yeah, I like that. I think that um, she's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of t- like blonde, fair, delicate, feminine Tippi Hedren. And then we have Suzanne Plachet has like the Elizabeth Taylor black bouffant and squinted eyes and, and the tight pants. She's been around the block a couple of times. Listen, listen, kid. I know what Mitch is like. <laughs> I love Suzanne Plachet. I mean, on Newhart, I mean, we, a genius on Newhart. She she gave it so great on that show. But I also love her in a little scene TV film where she plays the queen of mean, Leona Helmsley. Oh, Only the really? little people pay taxes, kid. <laughs> I love her in this film. She's the she's the one I wanted to live. She's the one I like. She's this chain smoking, angry teacher, hard drinking, hard drinking, angry teacher. That's what she, that's what she's <laughs> running towards. It's not that she's running away from the birds. Like, Help yourself, kids! I need to go to the bar. <laughs> you I, can tell it. Like I got to go get a whiskey at two o'clock. You're on your own. <laughs> she's getting sick of these singing kids and lighting up a cigarette by two oh, yeah. every day. She you was that tell. teacher that we all maybe we all had one of these that would just go out into the courtyard during a test and they'd come back a little bit happier. <laughs> and definitely smelling a little bit like they had just had that um, in-between class cigarette. And she's teaching the children Tony Bravo's favorite song. <laughs> I went to town to see my wife. <laughs> Clickety, clackety, nippity, knackety, <laughs> willicky, wallicky. Now, 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 with every stroke she shed a tear. Tickety dockety lickety. Oh, I'm not gonna say where I almost went there, but it's a long song. Now, now, now. And then the birds. (laughs) The crows lined up on that piece of playground equipment, which still exists, possibly. I swear, when I was there 15 years ago in eighth grade, I saw that piece of playground equipment and thought, I am not going to make it through this week. Why are all of the kids in the one-room schoolhouse the exact same age? Exact same age in the it, it's very uh, little house on the prairie, like that's right, sort of the every school child system. In Bodega Bay is eleven. <laughs> I just don't believe that Suzanne Plachet really enjoyed her life in Bodega Bay either. I mean, you know that she was sneaking down to North Beach on the weekends, hanging out with a beatnik here and there. She needed to be by Mitch. And what's Mitch's mom's name? How's Marianne? Um, and then she became very good friends with Marianne after she wasn't a threat anymore. Well, clearly. <laughs> Jessica Tandy's mother character in that. I mean, also, by the way, Jessica Tandy, really not that old in this film. Like, four years before, uh, ten years before this, she had played Blanche Dubois on Broadway, uh, who was a character in her 30s. Um, yeah, she's, she's like, American gothic in this, though. I checked it out. I actually wondered the age difference between her and Mitch because I thought it might be like six years, like a Manchurian mm-hmm. candidate kind of thing. Yeah. 21. Uh, 21 he was, years. Wow. He was, he was um, 31 and she was 52, I think. Yeah, I mean, she's but she's definitely pre-cocoon age well, in this. yes. <laughs> Maybe Jessica Tandy was just one of those people that was born old, though, too. It's quite <gasps> possible. Wilford Brimley? Wilford Brimley was also born old. Yeah. So things we like. Uh, Suzanne Plachette. Um, I like Melanie's I'll drink confidence. to that. 
Melanie's confidence. Just order me a boat. What's the little, what's a miner's name that lives across the bay? How exactly do I get there? Get me a nightgown. Oh, she has no underwear, no makeup, no toothbrush. I like the old English lesbian that knows all about birds. Yes. She's great. That look, that men's suit. Oh, birds don't do this. Don't be preposterous. Miss Bundy. Spundy. I think we should get to her after the suit. Um, Absolutely. Okay. The suit. Another fashion A moment. green. Could you describe the suit for me? Uh, it's Edith Head, uh, I believe, as um, the, most Hitchcock stuff was at that era. Um, green, uh, straight skirt, probably a boiled wool. Worn with that great fur coat over it because you know it's it's Bodega Bay. Clearly, you you're gonna need your fur coat as you're crossing the pond. It could get get a little chilly. Um, and and as Beth says, barely a spot of blood on this. Certainly no bird poop. One of the most iconic suits. So iconic that Alexander McQueen did not one, not two, but three different collections in his uh, career, inspired by Hitchcock in this movie. Uh, 1995, 2001, and uh, fall 2005. One collection even had taxidermied birds attached to the suits, like attacking the models. I saw costumes by Edith Head is like in giant type, I think before the cinematographer or the writer are mentioned. She is, she was the star of that era when it came to Hollywood costume designers. She did uh, Hitchcock's work with Princess Grace a few years before, most notably the gold gown and To Catch a Thief. Uh, Edith Head was the, sort of the queen of Hollywood costumes. Some of the most iconic things we think of, including uh, Kim Novak's gray suit and mm-hmm. Vertigo, all Edith Head. An indestructible suit. Indestructible. You know, Edith Head is also the model for Edna Mode in The Incredibles. Wow. Yeah, that's how iconic she was with the black glasses and the bangs. I feel this is getting like professorial. That is why everybody in the fashion industry is required to have big glasses and bangs. (laughs) Edith Head. Edith Head gives good wardrobe. That was the graffiti about her on the bathroom (laughs) walls. So, no poop in this film. None. Weirdly, there is not a speck of species from this 860,000 <laughs> species of birds, uh, quoting Miss Bundy here, the bird expert from the diner, um, 5 billion birds in the U.S. alone, 100 billion birds total. Yeah. All of them seem to be in this film and no poop anywhere, which I think- They went before they left the house. Wouldn't that make this more terrifying? Maybe it's part of their- Possession, you know what I mean? Like maybe it's part of just the horrible magic. They're maybe that's why they're going crazy. They're all constipated. <laughs> why? That is the best answer I've heard aside from our lovebirds theory. Yeah, why they're the birds constipated are birds, yeah. and that's why. How does there happen to be as all of Bodega Bay and then the rest of the North Bay and possibly San Francisco under attack by birds? There just happens to be this old lady bird expert sitting in the cafe full of salty every salty character in Bodega Bay. The drunk man who's just like, what the hell? The hard drinking town, right? The paranoid mom with the two kids who blames Melanie. Yeah. Um, with their baked potatoes. The two kids sitting there with their <laughs> baked potatoes. It, I mean, you could wrap them up, the foils around them, take your kids out of there if they're getting upset. Why She's, does no one leave? She says, the, the, the mother, and I'm a parent, 
So, you know, I'm supposed to sympathize with her, but she says repeatedly, you know, please, the children. It's like, wrap up your baked potato and leave. It's not a kid-friendly restaurant. If it's Chuck E. Cheese's, people shouldn't be talking about the birds. Your kids would not be bothered by that either. They'd be like, what? Like, who got attacked by birds? <laughs> yeah, my kids, my sons would be excited. They plan for this. They have plans for the zombie apocalypse. The bird thing wouldn't face them. I am going to bunker down with your family then when that eventually happens because I'm going to let your kids be my the ones that protect me. From the birds? <laughs> from minor pecking from yes. a bird? I still don't think a bird can kill you. I think it could happen. I, ugh. Panic. I just don't get like... Panic and blood loss. I'm so I'm so afraid as we talk about this. I saw this movie. A very unkind cousin was babysitting me and put it on, I think, when I was about five or six. So every day of my life that I get home having not been attacked by birds, I thank God. <laughs> it's a life-affirming movie. So can we talk about Miss Bundy's outfit now? And yes. the fact that I think she's clearly batting for alternative the alternative team there. I think that was a lady loving lady. Go for it. I think I just did. <laughs> I, lo I love that sort of like butch women's wear look that she's got going on. You're very professorial. Yes, well, I know all about the birds. You know what else I know about? The love that dared not speak its name between two ladies. But she but she kept her seats. I mean, she had the numbers. Birds have been on this planet, Miss Daniels, since Archaeopteryx, 140 million years ago. Doesn't it seem odd that they wait all that time to start a, a war against humanity? You know, How do we know she didn't make those billion? up? I don't know. Would you make up 860,000 species? They're, birders are intense people. I believe that they would have those numbers available to them. So Tippy Hedren, we, we got to talk about her. Um, I think she's great. I mean, I don't like the character. I didn't necessarily want her to live. Um too many people lived. Way That's too many people lived. Excuse me. The, the argument is that too many people lived in the movie. Yeah. Well, the first guy that dies is just like the chicken feed salesman. Uh -huh. He didn't even get a name, I don't think. She yeah. she had to go over and like visit. Oh, and they have one car. The Brunnas have one car, that big green truck that matches Tippy's suit. Oh, my God. And her eyeshadow. That's right. And her eyeshadow. That eyeshadow is pretty intense. Where did she get the eyeshadow? This... 48 hours that she's spending in Bodega Bay. The, I can't get over how she has it all in her paper bag when she goes over to Annie Hayworth's house. I just can't figure out how she managed to look so fabulous. That is the best so look in the world, though, an Edith Head suit and a paper sack. <laughs> right. Tippy Hedren discovered as a model by Hitchcock. He loved those blondes. They were his Hitchcock blondes, if we believe the stories. Tippy Hedren, Mel Melanie Griffith, and Dakota Johnson, Dakota Johnson is, Johnson is her granddaughter, granddaughter, who is uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. So, why isn't Tippy Hedren? Why hasn't she been in more movies? She was in Marnie, and then that was it. And then it comes she did out a couple little indie productions years later. A couple indie productions, and then it comes out in her biography that that Hitchcock was me tooing her was um, exploitive, um, very possessive, very manipulative. He was a very controlling director to believe Tippy's stories and. Some other things that have come out over the years. There was a movie uh, that HBO did about three years ago called The Girl, starring Sienna Miller as uh, Tippi Hedren. That was about this um, abusive relationship that went on between actress and director. Uh, and she did not work after Marnie for a period of time because he sort of torpedoed her career uh, because she um, alleges that... Uh, he made sexual advances to her on top of all of the other abusive things like having to be in these shots over and over again in this movie 
with real birds really attacking her, even though there were trainers there on the set. They were wired to her, I understand. Some of the birds were like actually like a live attached, birds. live bird attached to her for multiple takes. I mean, this is pre, you know, everything that we think of now that, that would make shots like this possible in 2018, computer generated birds and um, green suits and green screens. And um, she had like a nervous breakdown while making the movie. And there were some Hitchcock biographers who came out and questioned some of her timing. But also, I think there were people on the set as well who said that she was isolated. Yeah. Yeah, that she was isolated from the other cast members. And It's Hitch- interesting because some different actresses that work with him have different things to say. Kim Novak says that she had an okay relationship with him. I, I think a good relationship even. Uh, Tallulah Bankhead was known to have kind of a combative relationship with him, um, although a good-natured one at that. When she did uh, Lifeboat, Janet Lee is not didn't say anything on the record too terrible about her work experience with him in Psycho. And yet you sort of saw, I think, in all of these films, starting with the 50s, the molding, the creation of these Hitchcock blondes, how ultra-image-conscious he was for these actresses that I think he looked at as sort of his creations. I wanted to see her in more stuff. I mean, it, it. I feel like there's an emptiness that yeah. she wasn't in more stuff throughout the 60s and 70s. And I thought she was great in Marnie, too. I mean, she's great at... Um, she has a certain subtlety in the way that she acted. Maybe that doesn't go to all of her relatives. That, um, <laughs> you know, just the, those strong looks that she would give the camera, the, the way um, her voice would drop in some scenes. A really nuanced performer. I'd and I'd love to have seen her in more things in her heyday. I think Beth mentioned the confidence. She just demands stuff. And I kind of didn't, it didn't bug me. Marnie's a little bit like that, too. I liked her voice. Thank you. Just and things, <laughs> things happen for me. When I like a guy, I go to Bodega Bay and deliver him lovebirds. And there, oh, can we just talk about this? Their relationship moved awfully fast. Yeah. She oh, goes, I think so. They meet on Friday. By Sunday... They're making out in the mom's kitchen. I mean, and I realize that like intense events, you know, can prompt this sort of thing. Yeah, the last time I was viciously attacked by birds, I was hooking up left and right to combat the stress from it. You have no idea. Well, the 11 year old's birthday party, too. I mean, you're what essentially a turn on. on your second date, if you can call it that, at the 11th year old. You're basically a part of the family. Well, despite Mother Brenna's <laughs> disapproval. Um, ending. I want to talk about the ending. There was another ending to the birds. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, every, the popular one is that they drive by the Golden, drive up to the Golden Gate Bridge and it's covered in birds. That, and, that's the version I know. Is there another version? Well, uh, there's planned? more to it than that. And um, Leba Hertz told me that um, that there were code issues. Now, I, I, I think this is a postcode film, but scary movies weren't supposed to get too scary. And there was kind of a ending where they were driving along and just seeing carnage. Like as they were driving towards San Francisco, seeing, you know, various people with their eyes pecked out, other gas stations that exploded. That was kind of weird. And then um, they get to the bridge and they see the bridge and the bridge is covered in birds, which makes you think that Bodega Bay didn't even get the worst of it. But then it was switched where you get this radio report that suggests that Bodega Bay did get the worst of it. And maybe there were a few birds up in Santa Rosa, but the whole world hasn't been taken over by birds. I think it's uh, 
a man versus nature thing. I think he's just using this as, you know, he was ahead of his time. He talked about it in, in the Chronicle interview um, that, you know, this is a movie about man versus nature. And and I think it, I think it's an environmentalist movie. Yeah, and, I feel like M. Night Shyamalan, when he did The Happening, uh, definitely looked at some of the qualities of this film that were more effective and tried to emulate them. Whether or not he was successful, I will leave to other people to speculate on. We leave, and Melanie Daniels is has had a nervous breakdown, both in the movie and according to Tony on the set. Yeah. Um, allegedly, allegedly, and so she kind of gets ushered away by Mitch with a couple of band aids on her forehead, and now her suit is slightly in disarray. Slightly, it's like thrashed. I mean, the it's gone from good the... eye magnet construction. Yeah. Um. At the end, Melanie went crazy. Mitch, Kathy, Mother Brenna all live, <laughs> and they drive off into the sunset. There's no, have the birds moved on? Is the bird problem over? And what's happening with Melanie and Mitch's relationship? after? Because Melanie seemed to be getting along with Mother Brenna after the whole bird started to attack, and they bonded over that. I what, just don't have enough resolution. Where do you think these people are in 10 years? What's a good, like... City with no birds. San Lorenzo. I'm trying to think something that's populated, but not near the water. I don't see Melanie Daniels in San Lorenzo. No. I truly do see Melanie Daniel today out in San Francisco. I would like to run into her at some society party where she is just still as quaffed as she ever was. Still has the green suit somewhere in a box. And, you know, she's taken to drinking hard and the memory of Suzanne Plachette. And telling that story over and over again to anyone who listened, because she's just so hardcore, she survived. I want to see her at dinner at Gary Danko's some night this week, you know? <laughs> just, oh, hello, everybody come in. It's, it's Melanie Daniels having dinner again. She's going to tell the story about the birds. <laughs> tell us again, Melanie. Why would she have had to go to court, really? Someone with her pull, she shouldn't have to show up to court. Maybe, her, maybe her dad was teaching her a lesson. Maybe he was just sick of it. Sick of her showing up in the rival newspaper. He was the newspaper owner gossip. of the newspaper. He was the owner. He, I thought he was the editor. No, 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 no. Because okay. Mitch says, when M Mother Runner says, she's quite wealthy, isn't she? And he goes, well, her father's part owner of the local newspaper. I always thought publisher, but yes, you're right. And then it's called like the Daily News. Yeah. It's a phony, unless there was a Daily News in 1963 no, that was making was real money. Call and bulletin and examiner, but uh... all right, so... Ending legacy, is this a, do you consider this a movie that's a horror movie or a style movie or something else? Why can't it be both? I mean, some of the greatest uh, style movies, I think, are horror movies. Look at Rosemary's Baby, look at uh, Argento's Suspiria, I think look at Hitchcock and definitely see fashion. I don't think it's a horror movie. Again, because I don't believe that any of those birds could have killed anyone. <laughs> Um, what would I, you need in order to believe that birds are dangerous? Do they need to have little Uzis on their back? No, but I'm just like Peter's answer is people became overwhelmed and died from. There's what if it was a billion birds? Listen to Miss Bundy. There, how do we know some of those birds. people weren't mauled to death by bald eagles? Yeah, they were or just, vultures. They were seagulls. They were crows. What if there was an ostrich farm nearby? That's terrifying. A whole bunch of them coming at you at once. I think a crow up close, it has a pretty big beak. It's got like an inch long beak. You could do some damage with that. How is that different happy than like, I'm getting anxiety attack, happy place, How is happy that different place. than a, 
like a velo- velociraptor's claw. I just feel like you beak. block, you block the your head, the major organs. By the way, get away vo- from the birds. Beth was doing Vogue arms as she said, "Block her head." By the way, I just want that known to the podcast audience. I felt like Bodega Bay. There's obviously a lot of raincoats there. If you put on a raincoat, you could shelter most of your body from bird attacks. There's I would have. So I, many I have a fencing mask. I would have worn to get through it. Just a full fencing outfit. There are so many solutions to this. Oh, oh, oh. And why do they stay when everyone else is leaving Bodega Bay? And after the birthday party, Mitch is like, well, I'd feel better if you stayed and had something to eat. Oh, really? She should stay until after dark and then drive back to San Francisco? Very stupid. Get the hell out of town. That's every horror movie, though. I mean, it's hard to criticize the... Gee, Why don't going, you leave, in, going you know? into this dark room in a slightly farther removed part of the house by myself seems like a fantastic idea. This is a weird one because we seem to really like this film, but we're just like totally crapping on it. Where where do you put it with San Unlike Francisco the birds. films? Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> where do where do you put this? Where 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 do you rank this? Is this first tier San Francisco film? Second tier? I would say second tier of the top ten. G- give me some other films in the same same kind of wavelength. Copycat. Copycat. Okay, Copycat, I think, is a very good example. Of nine months? Falls in there. Oh, no, not, no, nine, not months. nine No, nine months doesn't get no. quite second tier. Uh, the Game, I think, would also Oh, The Game here. is first tier. Yeah. Well, for you, Beth. <laughs> yeah, for me and everyone else. I think it's solid second tier. Um, I think it holds up pretty well. I it's, just don't think we're it takes talking place so in much San Francisco enough to, to be truly first tier. That right. hurts it. That hurts it. And... Um, I think it's not as scary now. The, you know, people are going to rent it thinking it's a horror film. The special effects were really cool for the time, but now you really notice them. There's some really bad matte paintings. It's kind of like when um, I love a bad matte painting. I'm going to use another Three's Company. When Three's Company would go skiing and they couldn't afford it, so they just like had one of their kids draw snowy mountains in the back. There are a couple matte paintings of the town that just look like somebody's watercolor drawing. Um, there's also a couple of good rear projections in this, too. Not as good as the rear projections of San Francisco in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, I will point out. But I love a good San Francisco rear projection story during a car scene. Excellent. So I, I solid second tier, but worthy of inducting in the SF Cinema Greatest Absolutely. of All Time. Absolutely. Clickety-clackety. <laughs> now, now, now. Um, I'm going to isolate that song and just play it throughout Please. this podcast. I hope so. I okay. hope you don't find it too overwhelming. So, new thing at the end now. I want to talk about what you're, what we're going to see from Fashion Week. Uh, Fashion Week, we're talking all about the optics of Fashion Week. Why in 2018, white suits uh, in politics, black dresses on the red carpet mean something different. How designers like Prabal Garang have reacted to that and created very woke front rows and runway experiences. And this week in style, as part of SF Style Files, our history and archive series, we take a look at the iconography of the Black Panther uniform. Lovely. I saw that, and it's great. And um, thank you, Tony, for writing about style in a way that I can fully understand even when I feel like I'm remedial. Well, thank you, Peter, for being the one that opened up the archives down here, along with Bill, and kind of made them available to the reporters. Oh, yeah. you, you blazed the way. 
Thank you. And Beth, I want to talk about um, your new gig, newish gig. Newish gig. You are a Chronicle columnist. Every Thursday. Every Thursday. And the Alta, published by my former publisher when I got on with the Examiner, Will Hurst. Yeah. Quarterly Magazine. There's some online stuff, too. AltaOnline.com. It's a quarterly, big, glossy, like it's the size of a W magazine. It's very big. Um, that aspires to be, it's kind of in the vein of the New Yorker or Vanity Fair for California and the West Coast. It's cool. Check it out. We have cool, you know, Michael Bauer did a big piece for us um, going to Baja is the new Napa. It's the new wine country. Phil Bronstein sat down with Kamala Harris for a cover story. I saw that one. That looked very good. Um, great. So Dad. people can subscribe? People can subscribe for eleven ninety nine a year. Eleven ninety nine a Get year. Get on it. And subscribe to The Chronicle. Digital subscription now, you can get it for $99 a year, sometimes a little less. That is a deal. The Daily Caller is a much higher subscription. That is the paper from the birds, right? Yeah, the paper from the <laughs> Daily Caller. Uh, thank you very much. Tony Bravo, Beth Spotswood, SF Cinema, greatest of all time, The Birds, horror film maybe, style film definitely. Sure. Definitely. I'm making an argument for environmental, but um, check it out. It holds up really well. And The Birds, SF Cinema, Grace Full Time. Thank you for listening to the big event. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Beth Spotswood and Tony Bravo. If you're enjoying the big event, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Executive producer is Fernando Diaz, and our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on iTunes and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com backslash podcasts with an S.